as we teach these students, how do we make sure that their skill stays relevant and that they stay connected uh, to industry? In terms of where it goes, that is, <laughs> that is the million dollar question. I, I can, I think we're going to see a lot more competition come out of this. And that is what is coming up on Bootstrapping Your Dreams show. So stay tuned. Now, here are two powerful words to change your life. What if? What if you do have what it takes? What if you can design your life? What if your crazy dreams do come true? You are here because you have a dream. You have a fire in your belly. You want to change the world and you want to lead the charge in the post-socially distant era. The big question is this, how can ambitious people like us build our dream lives? This podcast gives you the answers. We have created the perfect community of the world's best minds who want to get things done. Survive and thrive in this uncertain world. Join us by navigating to bootstrapping.group. Hello and welcome to this new episode of Bootstrapping Your Dreams Show. I'm your host, Manu Jagarwal, and today we'll be having a very interesting conversation with Mike Butler. So Mike's interest uh, in technology started when he was only four years old. And as time passed by, he developed a passion for it and wanted to learn how it could be used for business and doing good. So Mike has spent the last 16 years working at the First Merchants Bank, an Indiana-based financial holding company. First Merchant Bank is among one of the top 100 banks in USA. This experience has given Mike the first um, knowledge of the necessary tools and data needed uh, for a hyper-growth company. In 2003, he started a technology as a, a technology intern in project management. Uh, that experience helped him understand the value chain in technology and its ability to shape the business. In 2014, he was promoted to CTO and it shifted his focus to strategic leadership and working with other technologists to build the next generation of technology for business. In January 2019, First Merchant Bank was ranked number two on America's best bank list compiled by Forbes, up from number four ranking in 2018. First Merchant Bank was listed as one of the best places to work in Indiana by Indiana Chamber of Commerce in 2018 for major companies with 1,000 or more employees. As of July 2020, total asset size of, size of merchant, First Merchant Bank Corporation is $13.8 billion. Mike's interests are in leading people to engage problems and design innovative solutions. His curiosity has led him to research cloud architecture, product design, leadership, psychology, machine learning extensively. Mike is specifically interested in using data to augment products and create new services. Wow, welcome, Mike. <laughs> Thanks, Manoush. Awesome. So uh, in a long time now, uh, you know, we've not had a guest with the technology background, so we can geek out a little bit because I nice. come from technology background. So nice. let's start there. Uh, at four years old, what the heck were you doing at four years old with technology? <laughs> well, okay. So so I grew up in the 80s. And mm. so one of the things, what's a little bit unique for me mm. is that um, my dad worked at Ball State. And he was, so he was a social or he's a cognitive psychologist and he was studying human factors. So how people interact with machines. And he was really interested in um, specifically like labs and, and setting up infrastructure and things like that. And so one of the things that I got exposure to that 
um, a lot of other kids my age wouldn't have gotten exposure to is that my dad is building these labs. So I'm getting access, you know, in 1984, five to, to Franklin's, to Apple twos, to Apple two pluses, mm-hmm. um, all kinds of technology and infrastructure that most, most people didn't have access to. And so <laughs> I was, uh, now some of that were experiments that my dad w- was running and mm-hmm. we were my or my siblings and I, we were part of those experiments. Um, but we, we got access to all this technology really early because of our relationship with uh, the university and then what my dad was doing. Um, and so even though it was a typical kind of like Midwestern childhood, the, I, would, I would say my, my brothers and my sister and I, we were more akin to probably kids these days. We were used to computers being in the household mm-hmm. from pretty much when we were born. My dad has a picture of me at two years old uh, typing on a, on an Apple II, wow. where he had written a typing program for us to learn how to type. So, and I'm not a faster typer because of that. I have challenged that. So that's great. That's awesome. Now I have uh, two young kids of my own and they do nothing else but break my stuff, my <laughs> technology. So do you recall any incidents where, where you actually uh, caused any trouble with your dad? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, and, and, uh, Many times, actually, uh-huh. um, I used to. So I've I've written program. I I learned to write some programs, but usually in basic. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was around seven, my dad was okay. teaching us, and I uh, I broke many, many, many of his computers. Not permanently; <laughs> they were always recoverable. Yeah. Um, but but several times, I used to, I was interested in electricity. So at one point, I was pretty young. I thought I could, you know, create take something from the electrical outlook and plug it in the computer and make it faster. <laughs> <laughs> and I did that, and I did catch some stuff on fire at one point. Oh. So, <laughs> all right, okay. So that's not as drastic as my kids, so thankfully. Um, all right. So, and uh, you know, you have been really successful at building these um, amazing companies, amazing teams. How did that come about? Uh, one of the uh, superpowers I know that you have is uh, being a super connector, and you connect well with people. Uh, how was that experience? How did you pick up that skill? Ooh, that's a, that's a good nature nurture one. Um, so I've, so I've always liked technology, but I've always liked people. So actually, I, I actually went to school and I was going to be a, um, I was going to be a programmer. I was going to be a computer scientist. And I would say I am one now, but the, the problem I ran into in school was I remember having a conversation. I was in an assembler course and I remember talking to my professor and I said, Hey, I don't, I don't understand why we're doing this program. Like how, who would we talk to and what, like, what value are we trying to create? Like, I need, it's almost like, you know, an actor needs motivation. That's how I felt. And I remember he told me, he goes, who cares? Just build it. <laughs> it was like, I remember I had this moment where I was like, oh man, I'm not going to really talk to people that much. And this is, you know, you know, this is back a while ago and today developers do get to talk more and, and reach out. Um, and so what I started to explore was like, well, I really want to do something else that like, I want to work with people, but I, I, I have to work with technology. Like, how could I not work with technology? Um, and so I explored different programs. I ended up finding a, an information systems and analytics program um, that I went through and um, got all those experiences. Got to got to go deep on you know database infrastructure and stuff like that. And then I also got to go through. Um, it was a consulting program actually. We got to go through and we reached out into the community and we would go do projects in the community and, and help different businesses uh, with different projects. Um, I would say the the drive to work with people i've always had that and that drive to to work with technology i think it's taken some time to hone how you work with people how you give up something of yourself to empower them let them make decisions let them take on challenges and grow um 
but a lot of that was just through uh, different connections and 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 watching leaders that I was really impressed with, um, and just watching them grow people and do things and saying, "Man, I want to I want to do things like that. I want to I don't I don't want to just build technology. I want to help drive it forward. I want to help innovate. I want to help you know help create." So it's a uh, it, it's a little bit of nature and a little bit of nurture at the same time, but um, I've always had that drive, and I, I really do enjoy working with people. I I, I actually consider it one of my uh, primary purposes yeah. as a leader. That's great, and um, uh, you know, being being in uh, engineering school and business school and and going through uh, all this education, I feel that element is missing somehow, uh, as in in uh, in a formal uh, study. Uh, we tend to really focus on just if if we are learning technology, like how do machines work? Yeah. Forgetting the fact that at the end of the day, it's meant for serving humans and a human is going to operate it. So uh, obviously you have learned that lesson well and you are, you have been very, very successful at that. But what will you advise to these educational institutions as, as the world is changing? What can they do to uh, teach more people about what you know? About oh, that's a good question. How to how to link technology and and understand humans and and sort of you know use it in the service of humanity. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that like you just said it like that was really good. Um, I think we forget when we're going through courses and things like that, and we stay you know we stay heads down and we got to you know we have to write this this routine or we have to write this program we have to do whatever it is, and we actually forget like what is the purpose for it? Like why are we doing this? Um, I was talking to my dad once about when he got into human factors analysis and we were talking about, he said one of, one of his professors came in once and he was teaching about how to, how do you write a, a test? How do you write a, a test, you know, in software? How do you write it for people? And they had written a program, you know, it was on an old Apple II and this old story, but you know, it was, it was, you could either hit Y for yes or N for no. It was just a yes, no, you know, true, false kind of test. And he said, uh, the guy came in there and my, my dad gave him the instruction and said, okay, sit down and do it. And he just sat there and just started mashing the keypad. And my dad's like, no, that's not, that's not what you're supposed to do. And he said, I'm a person, I'm just going to do whatever I want. So if you don't want me to do that, you're going to have to build things around it. Right. And so I think that's one of the things that we miss when we're building some of this technology in school and stuff. We, we, and that story sticks with me. And my dad told me that, and I, all through college, many times I've gone through college, um, it's that that story stuck with me because I really do believe that that's that that's the nature of of people like you can you can tell us don't do something. And it's that, you know, that button that says don't push me. Everybody yeah. can push that button at some point. Yeah. So I think what what in academia, what what would be helpful um, is as as they as they teach these students. Um, and I sit on a, a few advisory groups and we talk about this as we teach these students, how do we make sure that their skill stays relevant and that they stay connected uh, to industry? And because you don't, you don't want to teach them skills that have, you know, fallen to the wayside or are no longer useful. And you also don't want to, um, you know, not teach them that a lot of what they're doing, if, if they're a technologist, you are someone who's going to work with people. You might not do it directly, but you're going to build technology. that's going to work with people. So you have to build good interactions. That's awesome. And, um, you know, for those of us who are already in the workforce, I, I want to make sure that we don't leave them aside. So how can we nurture these uh, qualities in them? If we are already in the workforce, we are driven, we are, you know, doing good things, building technology, whatever, whatever we are doing, but forgetting the human side of it. So I, 
I study a lot. Um, what, I'm writing a paper right now, actually, on cognitive bias in decision making, like when, when you're working on projects and things like that. And I think one of the things that can help us as people is to actually just be aware of our biases and how we how we think about the world. Um, like if you're kicking off a project, you know, ask for people's opinion. Like, say, do you think this is a good idea? And if, if you get no's, don't discount them. You know, that's overconfidence bias. You need to you need to think about it. And I think the more we can try to engage people and ask them questions, you know, let them give feedback and then really think about, OK, is this the right thing to do? And, and there's tons of other things we can do. But in general, like that's the core to me. Get feedback, you know, figure out if it's the right thing to do and then and then and then make a decision and, and, and move a direction. Um, and I think that's like an in industry. That's what I, that's what I watch us sometimes struggle with is let's say you've had a few successes and you're like, I got the formula. This is just it. This is just going to work. I don't need to ask people any, you know, any, I don't need an opinion anymore. Um, I think, and, and you, you and I've talked about that. You, you know, that that's incredibly important is to understand what are you trying to accomplish and make sure you get feedback from people on how you're going to try to accomplish it. So, um, and I think too, us in the industry, we're always, we need to just stay open-minded and just keep learning. You know, new techniques are coming out. The pandemic has, has created new opportunities that we need to rethink how certain technologies work. Um, I think just staying open-minded and doing some of those things that we can, we can just do some really cool stuff. That's amazing. And um, now uh, one of the things that I want to bring up, and this is a little bit personal, I know, uh, was your uh, graduate study in predictive analytics in, uh, in 2014. Yeah. So, um, do you want to share a little bit about that story? How did you get in there and you know, what, what, what yeah. Was? Yeah. So, um, so it's 2014 and I started, I'd been looking for, so I haven't, I had an MBA and I was looking for another program. Um, and so Northwestern has a great predictive analytics program, uh, a lot of great professors up there. Um, and so I, I got into that program, um, started taking, I took probably a couple classes. Um, and then my sister got sick. She got sarcoma, which is an incredibly rare form incredibly rare form of cancer. Um, so I'm in a data analytics program. My sister was actually, she was actually getting ready to apply uh, for a doctoral program um, uh, in, in dietetics and uh, nutrition sciences. And so we would, one of the things she and I would do is we would actually talk about data. Um, I remember she, we had a long conversation um, talking about p-values and like, and this is, and I remember she and I were talking, we were like, this is only our family that would be sitting here <laughs> you know, she has a terminal illness. And one of the last conversations she and I get to have are about p-values and how p-values work, you know, in statistics. Um, and so, so I did, I did about half, half the, the curriculum. She passed away and I decided um, we were, we, we set up a foundation in her name uh, at Ball State. And during that time, I, I kind of lost the energy. So I didn't, I didn't finish the program. It, it was, it, when you go through, a mo and it, this actually taught me some lessons. Um, and I loved my sister. I mean, she was, yeah, she, yeah. she was incredibly bright. And uh, but it did teach me a lesson. Um, there are events that you go through in your life that change that change your perspective. And at that point, my perspective shifted and I felt like it was it was better if I could do something that would remember her than go work on education at the time. So we created a foundation. Um, I actually recruited some people and we wrote um, we wrote an auction platform. And we ran uh, an, some events and, and raised a, a quite a bit of money um, and put that into the in, into the uh, scholarship account that we created for her. Um, but those are also some of the guys that uh, we've written other software for, you know, some charities and, and done stuff like that. So um, 
so it was an interesting lesson. It was a pretty sad, sad point in my life, but, um, but I have, you know, after I came out of that and we, and we did some of that, I, I started to explore again, like, okay, I, I do want to do more with education. I love learning. Uh, what can I do? And so uh, I'm currently at Purdue um, working on a doctorate. It's going to take me a long time, <laughs> but I'm working on it. That's awesome. That's great. Well, I mean, uh, for what it's worth, I will say, I will make an observation that, you know, I know it was a sad experience. I empathize, but I think the way that you handle it, you have brought in some immortality, immortality to to her um, uh, you know, memories uh, by creating this foundation. And, oh, yeah. and data is so important. As we know, we're going through this, uh, you know, pandemic situation. If you don't track data, there's not going to be uh, any way to tackle this problem, right? Right. Yeah. Well, and so it, what, one of the things she and I talked about, you, you'd probably find this in. So we were talking about genomic studies mm -hmm. and how much data do you need before they'll really be effective for cancer treatments? Because you have you have so many different gene combinations in your body how, at what point do, will we have enough data? And so one of the things she and I concluded with, with sarcoma is there's just so few cases a year. There's just never really going to be enough data. You would, you'd have to go out, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years and hopefully they just, you know, solve it. No one ever gets it again, but mm -hmm. it was, it was uh, data becomes so important and, and the collection of that data, because you don't want to lose uh, some of this. So one of the things she did um, uh, towards the end of her life is she did, she did, uh, her genetic material was donated so that they could study it. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That, there you go. Um, all right. So, uh, let's shift gears a little bit now, you know, you've gone through, um, a huge, huge, uh, success in, in your career, um, starting as an intern, rising to the ranks of CTO. What do you think are the qualities of a good leader? How, like people struggle young, especially young people, these days, how do they get to the next level? What kind of advice you can give them? So I, that's a great question. Um, I don't, I don't think you should ever discount just hard work. I think that's one that people, you know, a lot of people are looking for a shortcut and the reality is it, it is, it is about hard work. I remember I used to have a principle um, and I don't think I would apply it today, but if I worked twice as much as everyone else, I would in one year, I would be two, I would have the equivalent of two years experience, you know, three years experience. And that's probably not exactly true. Um, but I don't think you can discount hard work. Um, the other thing that I, I really encourage leaders to do is, is find, find a purpose, find the things that drive you mm -hmm. and then try to, try to, try to apply that to your leadership philosophy. Yeah. So if you're, um, one of my favorite adages is teach a man to fish. I, I mean, I love that. I, yeah. I, 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 that's just my favorite thing to tell people. <laughs> a lot of people know it at work. Um, but if you think about that, so that's, that's part of my leadership philosophy is I, I will, I will take time out of my day to teach. Doesn't matter where you are on the totem pole. Um, I'll take time out of my day. If, if there's something I can teach you and it'll, it'll help you get better. It'll help me. It'll help me become a better leader because I learn how to interact with one more person. Yeah. Um, I'll do it. And so I think when you find that purpose, as a leader and, and you can find a way that um, that's going to help you, you know, drive your mission of, of who you're going to be. Um, I think it, it, a lot of things start to fall in line at that point. It helps you be more authentic. Yeah. Um, if you've you know heard about authentic leadership, it helps you be more of a servant in a lot of ways, because then you're willing to help people and do things. You're, you're worried less about your ego and where you are on, you know, um, on the, on the rank. Um, so I just think driving that purpose. And I think you can do, you can, if you think purpose in terms of you and I've talked a little bit about, um, when you think about in business, when you start a business, you have to have purpose. You can't just not know your customer. You can't just 
say, I'm going to build this app and everybody's going to love it and not really know what you're building. Like it's the same thing as a leader. If, if you want to de- develop your leadership capabilities and you, and you do want to grow in, in that direction, you can also grow technically, which I like doing too. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to define that purpose as a leader to, to, to really become authentic. That's great. And so um, one of the things that you mentioned, you know, uh, it seems like uh, the theme is that you really need to understand yourself and sort of contain your ego. Uh, and uh, one one interesting thing I observed in the corporate world is as you get these titles, especially with the C title that starts with a C, which is chief of something or chief or whatever, that has a magical effect on a person. The person actually changes from one day to another based on the title they have been given. Have you observed that? I've, I've seen some of that. Um... I've seen people that it doesn't change them as much. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think too. I think I think what happens is they take that role. I think their mission shifts a little bit. Mm-hmm. They go from you know maybe implementing some. They go from being kind of tactical to having to be more strategic. And I think you, I I have seen shifts when I've seen others promote um, or take on those roles where they have to think a little bit differently. And I think we see that you know that externalizes as as you know different behaviors and things like that. Um, I, I've also seen, uh, so our, our CISO and I work together. Um, he actually started, I think a couple years after me, but he started, you know, as I think as a part-time or an intern or something like that too. And so there's, there's two CXOs at our company that used to be like, yeah. you know, below the current staff level. I don't even think we have interns of, of, mm-hmm. of like that anymore. And so, um, I've noticed like he, he, his value system has stayed the same though. He's still about integrity and things like that, but I have, you know, I have friends in other industries and I've watched them and as they've, they've taken their shot and they're like, I'm going to go change everything tomorrow. And it's like, the problem is uh, when you become a C, you know, when you get into that C chair, your ability to actually change something that day is hard. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. really hard. <laughs> That's great. Let's take a quick break for an important message from the Bootstrapping Your Dreams community. Get the support and insights you need for your business and life. Join our community, which is fueled by the same people who advise the world's top leaders and champions. Stay ahead of the curve. Join us now by navigating to bootstrapping.group. So um, in order to change things or get things done or you know achieve big goals uh, obviously you need to have a team you cannot do everything by yourself but then uh, you need to get their buy-in whether whether they like the proposal or not or whether their values are aligned or not so how do you balance all that like how do you get them motivated get their buy-in get them get their uh, you know uh, concerns addressed and get them to actually uh, do something which is uh, which is amazing for other people. So I uh, I have this uh, term that I found in uh, oh, I'm not going to give the right credit, but uh, there's a concept called a superordinate goal. So goal of goals is uh-huh. is what it's called. And I've what I found is um, when when you can align people on a mission. Um, so I'll give you an example when uh, when 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 COVID hit and we had to figure out how to get people home. I mean it was. The, the, the bank, we, we started down this path of, we have to figure out a way to get people out of the office. And we've never done this at this scale. Um, a bunch of us came together and it didn't, didn't even matter who the leader was at that point. It was just like, we have got to figure this out. 
um, we sat down and everybody just started take, having, they had ideas and we had, we'd create tasks and we'd create plans and we'd go and we'd go and we'd go. And what we realized is that it worked so well because the, the mission was the same at the top of the house. And, you know, for us, how do we get people home? Cause that was the model. Yeah. Um, now that's a pretty extreme one. I mean, if it takes a global pandemic every time to get us down, the same path, <laughs> that would be bad. But what we found was, um, that if we can align each other and if we can have, so I, I really think it's important to have conversations around, do we have the same goals? Cause, and the reality is you're, you're not always going to, you maybe, maybe you run the same project, um, and you're both after a different result. Um, but ultimately can, can you get to a point where you understand what your superordinate goal is? And what I found is when we can, when we can rally the team around a symbol or something like that, um, or, or a goal at that level, that you really get some incredible performance. And that's when I think people will, they'll deliver that, those amazing products and those amazing things that you just, you can't figure out how they found the time or the energy to, to, you know, stay up one more night and try to just knock this out, you know, kinds of things. Um, And so when I work with teams, I really focus on trying to find that superordinate goal or create it uh, when I have to create it. So it's a, uh, there, you know, there's, there's studies you've read and you, you, you watch these companies. I'm sure you've been a part of startups that had that goal yeah, um, and probably startups that didn't have that goal. <laughs> That's great. And so uh, a few of our uh, viewers are chiming in here. Todd is saying definitely hard work plays. Uh, so please, uh, that's so true. And uh, if anybody's listening or watching, uh, do jump in. We'd like to get uh, more questions and feedback. Um, all right. Now we, we talked about, you know, how the work environment is changing and how you rallied around that. Um, how do you think, what is, what, do you, what is your foresight telling you how things are going to unfold in terms of, you know, banking industry or other industries uh, which are so critical uh, for us to function um, and the economy is set up in a certain way? Do you think these, uh, these situations will change in long term due to the pandemic? It, it- from what I've read, so I've I've read I've read a little bit. I've I've listened to a few economists now, so I think that's a big driver trying to understand what's what's going to happen in the economy, what's going to happen in the stock market. Um, I've listened to quite a bit of that, and I've also listened to um, a lot of a lot of uh, futurists and where they think the world's going to go. Um, I do think what's happened is we've seen a digital acceleration occur. Mm-hmm. Um, industry that I think was a, could still stay pretty brick and mortar um, and things like that. I think what we've seen is. Uh, the world say, we, we need to be able to do this online. We need to be able to do it from home or we need to be able to do it from our phones. Um, I think we were seeing that, but it was a much slower curve mm-hmm. and that, 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 that velocity increased. So I think we're seeing a lot of um, innovation and digitization velocity. It, velocity In terms of where it goes, that is, <laughs> that is the million dollar question. Mm-hmm. I, I, can, I think we're going to see a lot more competition come out of this in mm-hmm. terms of, I think the fintechs, um, and, and banking. I think we're going to see the, the financial technologists, the fintechs. I think we're going to see um, a lot of new products come out of this uh, in terms of how people want to bank, how they want to interact with their banks. Um, we've already seen um, quite a few requests to just do more digitally uh, than ever before. And I think what what we'll probably see is, is you know, decreased foot traffic over the years and, and, and things like that, um, just in the industry as a whole. I think other industries we're going to see similar stuff, and then there's industries that will probably be complete not affected at all yeah. um, in the long run. But they do say, you know, from a from a from an economist perspective, I've read anywhere between ten to twenty years for us to really re- fully recover 
from what's happening. And then you ask, what is the new norm? And I don't think anyone really knows right now. And I don't think I do either. <laughs> I keep trying to guess at it. Well, all we can do is like sort of, you know, take decisions uh, based on the information that is available at hand right now. Right. Um, so now based on that, like, you know, obviously nobody can tell the future, but based on that, you know, uh, once again, uh, drawing on your success in, in a, in a, in a industry that is, uh, I will say is competitive. Like banking is not that easy in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, drawing on that experience and understanding what is going on, like what will be your advice to people who are maybe looking to start a business or maybe trying to, you know, um, like, uh, build a new profession because right now it is that situation where even people in existing um, professions they are uh, rethinking their lives, rethinking where they want to go. You know, in many cases, businesses have been shut down; they're not viable anymore. So, um, what will be your advice in this case? Yeah. So, oh man, that's a hard one because we see you know you see a lot of that. You watch the news and you you see as these as. And, I'm sure you must have seen a firsthand, you know, your clients and and customers must be going through something similar. Yeah. And even in the community, just walking around, like you see, um, you know, like, you know, what's going to happen to the restaurant industry? That would be, yeah. I'd love to talk to someone in that industry and just say, where does it go, you know, over the next few years? Um, I do think though, so we were talking about the the story with my sister and and that was, that was a personal crisis where yeah. this is a, you know, a global one. And I do think that when you have a crisis, there there's really two types of people. There's there's people that that they they use it as an opportunity to drive them to do something new, and there's people that you know they fold into it, um, and and they and they don't know what to do. And so I think I think there's for a lot of those entrepreneurs and people that are you know rethinking their careers and stuff like that, um, this is a good time to do that. And it, I absolutely think this is a good time to do it because the world's shifting, right? We, we were just talking about that. So I think as they start to explore a lot of the great inventions that I think we've seen um, happen during events like this, um, you know, during, during, you know, maybe not like this because we haven't yeah. seen one of these in a long time, but, but different things like this. And so I think, I think this will be a driver of a lot of innovation. Um, that's the positive spin on it. Obviously, you know, COVID is scary and there's, there's a lot of negatives um, but I do think that when I listen to the entrepreneurs and, and I, if there's one thing I know about entrepreneurs, it's they will have another idea. They yeah. will they will they will come out of this and they they will they will have a new idea that's that's equally as powerful. That's going to make an impact and it's going to have that purpose. Yeah. Um, so what I what I've told and I have some friends that, you know, own businesses that are starting to struggle and things like that. Um, my brother owns, owns a small business down in Atlanta, Georgia. Um and he's having this, you know, he's having the same conversation right now. And he's, you know, we're going to come out of this and, and he's looking at uh, ways to do, he, he's a coach, more digital coaching, more online stuff, you know, things like that. So I think this is, what do they say? Necessity is the mother of invention. And I think that's totally true. I think we're going to see a lot of people create new inventions um, out of what's happening. I also think we're going to see a lot of terrible stuff happen uh, yeah. over the next, over the next year or two too. But, um, but I think the positive spin is, we're going to see entrepreneurs come out of this and, and do some incredible stuff. I think uh, in terms of people who are in industry that are thinking about a shift, um, I think you you take stock of what what your values are and, and what you want and what your risk tolerance is. I, I think that's a, a an important one uh, for people. And, and you decide if you want to you want to go after a startup, you want to go after, you know, something that's a little more stable, like financial services or grocery or whatever. Um, and, and make that decision for yourself and, and try something new. I grew a beard 
during all this because I'd never grown a beard before. So try something new. <laughs> yeah. I recall last time you yeah, you didn't have facial hair. No, I decided to do it before this. <laughs> okay. Um that's amazing. That's interesting. And and you're so right. Like uh, you know, uh human humans have this superpower to adapt. Uh, yeah. And as you pointed out, like every crisis is basically uh basically a way for the nature to to tell us that hey, you know, you got to pick up a different path here, right? Right. Can I ask you what, what's, and I'm just curious, what's your opinion of where do you think some of this goes? Um, see, uh, all I know is humans have this tendency to remember things, especially the negative experiences. Mm. And, uh, those negative experiences, they live on for generations. Like, uh, when I read history, you know, you can look at, uh, some of the major events, um, like Holocaust and those type of, uh, great depression, uh, those type of things, um, if you hear stories, family histories, you'll see the parents who lived through that era, they actually raised their kids to be prepared for that to happen once again. Mm. Uh, and so the upbringing is different. You know, the the, the way of thinking is different. You're always a uh, little bit scared, a little, little bit worried. And that translates into human, uh, like mass psychology, how things unfold. And now this, I believe, is is something that has never happened um, before because we have technology that enables us to do things differently. Never before we could, you know, if this happened in even 2000, the whole world would have been shut down because yeah. there was no remote access. Don't Like right now, even though some people are suffering, but by and large, the world is going on and that is because of technology, right? Agree. And, um, and so now as more and more people realize that, hey, you know, um, the way that we have been doing things not necessarily have to be done that done that way. Uh, so I think that will cause like major, major shifts and how that will be like, you know, I can I can see a few trends already. Like, you know, as you said, restaurants like there's, there's been reports, 85 percent of the restaurants will close down by the end of the year. Um, you know, uh, like commercial real estate. I mean, I don't see a lot of value of, you know, maintaining all these like humongous buildings uh, when nobody's going to show up. You know, large companies are saying, Twitter mm. said like everybody can work from home. Google said until next year. I mean, what's going to happen to all these commercial real estate, right? And yeah. then as you see, uh, all these industries are not standalone. They, they rely, like a lot of industries are tied to these industries. So there's going to be a ripple effect of, you know, when stadiums, theaters, restaurants, uh, I mean, there's going to be ripple effect to everything else. Um, and, uh, and people are afraid to touch each other, go near each other. Like, you know, everything in our world is based on touch. You know, uh, we open the door for others. Um, you know, we, 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 uh, use the keypad. Like, I mean, all those things are, uh, you know, you can see like people are going to hesitate doing all these things. And yeah. now, and now the, you know, we, we've been doing like, uh, as you said, voice actuation and all that, like touchless is going to be the key thing, right? You know, anything touchless is going to be, oh, you know, I want to use touchless, you know, where is that? Show yeah. me that. Uh, That's so a good I, prediction. Yeah. Uh, and those are the things I think are, are going to bubble up and, uh, you know, things like even cash, I mean, banking, uh, in my opinion, uh, cards and those type of things are going to be digitized in a way that we don't even have to carry any physical item anymore. That that's, I, I 
and and these predictions are just based on what i see how behavior how behavior changes in humans and yeah. what they are able to tolerate more as a result of some experience they went through yeah i think this event it'll be interesting to watch the types of behavioral changes that we see and then how much it accelerates it's yeah. it's in, and you're right those ripple effects they do happen they 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 start in one industry and then they ripple through the others yeah. but, and there's there's interesting ones too like uh the rv industry right now yeah exactly. is exploding yeah, yeah. i have a buddy that you know own, or uh, works at one and he uh he told me that they're doing four times the volume exactly. Exactly. they would have done at any point in time you know, it doesn't matter what's going on. He just says, yeah. it's just incredible right now what's happening. But but that's, you're right. That's a behavioral shift. People don't want to go stay in hotels and things like that. So they're opting for, they want to just buy their own traveling hotel and drive it around. Exactly. So that is adaptability in, in, uh, in, in right in front of our eyes. And, uh, and if you look at the history of pandemics, they generally last about two to three years. And so, you know, it's unfortunate people think that it's all over and they go party and everything. But um this is a marathon i think we are on i think so too but i think i think that i liked your comment on you know the technology is enabling this i think i think the thing we're seeing is that the the technology industry and technologists like you and i like we've hopefully people agree with me <laughs> but i think uh we, we've kind of stepped up to it and said okay yeah, yeah. let's figure yeah. out a way to make this work let's figure out a way to get you home let's figure out a way to to make it a little easier for you know, you to have a face-to-face conversation with, you know, a client, a customer, a teammate, you know, whatever. And, and you're right. If this, if this was 15 years ago, this, this would be, this, I mean, we'd be in, we'd be in worse shape. It's still bad, but we'd be in worse shape. But I, I think the technology industry, I've been really impressed with um, the speed at which the technology industry kind of spun. Like you watch like what Microsoft did with Teams, yeah. they accelerated all their, their pipelines and they, they added resources into it and said, we got to get this thing moving faster. Um, it's, it's been really interesting to watch. And I think it's the right response, um, from these industries that can't, you know, directly help with, with, you know, you know, antibody testing or anything like that, but we can create video conferencing or better, or better collaboration tools or, you know, different technologies that our clients can work with. That's what, that's, what's always excited me about technology is its adaptability yeah. and our ability to kind of mold it, to respond to what's happening in the world. And not only that, I think, um, Obviously, you know, innovations are happening, but just imagine that uh, we put like four times more demands on technology, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in a matter of weeks, in a matter of weeks, right? And if you did that on any other industry, like let's say there was a housing shortage or there was a automobile shortage or anything and say, okay, we need four times more houses next week. Like, right. The, <laughs> You know, there's no way that's going to happen, right? And so if, if people even look at, you know, electricity, uh, water, uh, all these things need infrastructure. And if technology was not there, then, you know, we'll be in dark ages right now. Right. Well, look at what happened with uh, the, the PPE, PPE yeah. industry. They couldn't, they can't get the material out fast enough. And it's taken, you know, yeah, it's, exactly. it's taken months. But like, if that would have happened with like, like, you know, bandwidth and video conferencing technologies and things like that. Like, I mean, it'd be a never ending news story. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and nobody will be able to read them because the internet will be so slow. <laughs> uh, all right. That's, that's a great way to end the, the conversation. Thank you so much for being with us. And uh, 
what a fun and lively conversation and i got to geek out on uh, technology stuff uh now before i let you go can you help us uh, can you help people uh, understand how they can reach out to you how they can connect with you yeah so uh you can find me on linkedin uh that's the best way to reach out to me everything else i get overwhelmed with so uh find me on linkedin um and i'll uh usually takes me about a week but I'll, i try to get back to everyone who uh who hits me up on there awesome that's great thank you so much mike it was, it was so good to have you and uh, i hope you come back again thanks manush a lot of fun that's all for now until next time if you want to realize your full potential i invite you to join our community we support and help each other out because no one has to do it alone join us today by navigating to bootstrapping.group the community is free to join no strings attached except for one you have to take action so if you are an action taker we want to talk to you join us by navigating to bootstrapping.group If you want more insightful interviews with industry leaders then check out the other videos we have picked for you right here and subscribe now to get our new content